Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. If you brought a Bible today, and I hope you did, and I hope you also brought something to write with. If you didn't, you're going to regret it sometime during the message, but that's okay. You can get the podcast, you can watch the, the online and recapture. But from this point on, I would encourage you, bring something to write with, because when God begins to speak to you, that's something you want to write down. You don't want to forget Right? You want to say, hey man, God's talking to me here, and you want to write some things down because they'll change your life. If you brought a Bible, open it up to these three New Testament passages, and you'll kind of know where we're at in the message as we progress from one of these main texts to the next. We're going to first look at Ephesians chapter 3, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Then we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, so you're going to come back to the left 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and then you're going to come back one more book in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So Ephesians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, while I was gone, Pastor Brandon and Pastor Jenny did an amazing job at running everything in the church from the mornings to the midweek to all the way through the week. Yeah, come on, if you're going to give them one, just give them a really good one. Because they sure worked hard and they deserved it. And as I suspected, the church grew. Uh, Somebody came up to me this morning and said it wasn't the same without you. I didn't ask whether that means it was better or it was worse. I'm a little afraid of the answer. We'll just kind of go with that. But they did an amazing job, and I was able to track with every one of the messages in this series that Pastor Brandon brought more than able. And as I was listening, man, some things were stirring in me. I'm writing things down. I'm, I'm turning to the scriptures in the Bible. I'm listening to the stories. And the Lord's ministering to me and feeding me. And so when I got back, I said, hey, listen, would, would you mind if I tagged one more on to the end of that series? It was kind of in your heart. You developed the messages. But I think I got one more little, like the cherry on the icing on this incredible cake that he's baked for everybody. And so I want to kind of pick up uh, from that. And that's why I'm starting in Ephesians chapter uh, 3, verse 20. And it reads this way in the New King James. Now to him who is able... To do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. But here's, here's the pause that's, in, that's so essential for us. That we stop and we realize that's not automatic. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're going to experience God in your life doing exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask or think. You want him to. You know that he can. You wish he would, you even need him to in some areas. But it's not automatic and a lot of Christians stop reading or at least stop absorbing what the Bible says right about there. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think and they're just already kind of in la-la land and they don't stop to listen to the disclaimer at the end. Because God's ability and God's, God's moving in your life to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think is directly connected to a, the power that's working in us. And that's what he said, according to the power that works in us. Now, maybe years and years, you know, thousands of years ago, this would have been a little harder to comprehend. But today, this is easy. This is like what we understand and we work with every single day. We just may not have connected the dots. And let me prove that to you. Think about all of the things in today's world, in fact, in your world, that depend on power. You use them every day. You depend on them. If even one of them go out, you're like in this, my, oh my, what, what am I going to do? What, 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 what am I going to do? Because everything's functioning on power. Think about your vehicles. Think about if, if you work with, your, with tools of any sort, whether they're office tools or, or they're tools on a construction site, some of them you know, have cords. Nowadays, a lot of them are cordless and, 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 you know, and they're, they're wireless and, and, and these things are wonderful. What about smartphones and tablets and laptops? And the list just goes on and on and on. Let one of those things go down and your whole life is upside down. 
Because we understand today everything in our modern world is, is revolves around power. And the interesting thing is, as the designers and the developers of these wonderful, helpful things in our life, as they were planning, they recognized that there was an absolute essential need to be able to monitor and maintain and replenish and activate, turn on and off the power uh, on all of these technologies. And so they've given us a couple of different options in how we do this, okay? One option is some of them still have cords and plugs. I know that's a little bit antiquated and it's like, oh my gosh, who uses cords anymore? But some of us still do. And you can actually plug an appliance into the electrical outlet in your home, or you can plug, you know, a desktop into the outlet in your office, and that allows a constant flow of power to be right there at your fingertips. All you have to do is flip the switch, turn it on, and you've got this consistent, constant flow of power. You don't have to think about it. It's always there. And if you turn it on and nothing happens, you're like, what in the world's going on? Because it can't be the power. The power is a constant supply. And the designers and the developers knew this. And so they said, we've got to give them the ability to do this. Not only that, on every one of these tools, unless it's a plug-in tool and you, you're just depending on a constant power, every one of these tools have power gauges and they're highly visible. They're easy to identify. You don't even have to kind of disrupt what you're doing. You can just divert your eyes at a glance and say, how am I doing on power? How's my cell power? How's my receptivity? How's, my, how's the energy doing on these things? And it allows us to easily at any moment identify, do we have enough power to finish doing what we're doing? And if not, you're right in the middle of a big document or something you're working on and you realize your laptop's on its last bar, you're going to stop everything and plug it in before you lose a lot of the information. Or maybe you're driving in the car and you've still got a ways to go and the light pops on. It doesn't matter how, how hurry you, hurried you are, you're going to find an exit to pull off. You're going to get at least a few gallons of gas to get you where you need to get to. And then when you're getting on the way back, maybe you'll fill up then. But all of these things are right there. Uh, they're, they're accessible. Not only that, but they've made sure to design things that we have access to refueling stations or charging stations. It doesn't mean that a plug's gonna be there you know, where we need it to all the time, but we live in a country that the tools are designed where you can find a plug somewhere and plug it in. We just got back from Bolivia, that wasn't the case. We had to think ahead and bring you know, chargers and, and transformers with us that would convert the power system in Bolivia to the United States system so that we could take our tools and our operating systems there. But in the United States, the designers say, nope, we're gonna make it super easy for you. Now, look, I could go on with the illustration, but you're tracking with me. I, I can see it in your eyes, okay? So let me ask this simple question. If human beings that are in the research and design labs, if they understand these things and they would design all, all of the amenities so that we could understand, have access to power, so that we can look and measure it, so that we could increase it, so, so that we can maintain it, so that we can measure, do we have enough? If they did all of that, what do you think the creator of the whole universe would do? Do you think that he would put something in the Bible and say, listen, I can do exceedingly and abundantly far above anything you ever asked or thought about, but it's according to the power that works in you. Do you think he would do that and not give us the ability at any moment to measure, do we have enough power that will allow God to do what he wants to do? And if we discover we don't, do you think the designer and the creator, the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the ever-loving God would have set up a system that says, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I don't have enough power, and so therefore God's not going to work in my life. Oh, well, and you're just going to go on and limp by the best you can. Listen to me. The good news is God thought all this thing through. And when it says that he does all of this according to the power that works in you, God has set something up in the Bible. You don't have to be a theologian. This is like as easy as looking and saying, is my cell phone charged? Is my laptop charged? Do I have gas in the car? All you have to do is to be able to understand how do I look at the power gauge 
How do I recognize real time whether or not I have enough power in functioning in me so that God can do what he promised to do? And if the answer is no, then all you have to do is, is plug into a charging station. This doesn't even take months. This doesn't take weeks. This takes moments that you can do this. This takes time for you to begin to build. You know, you can carry around, if you will, spiritual, like extra batteries and things. And we're gonna look at all that today because it's so simple that we tend to miss it. We're just not connecting the dots. But I'm telling you, God cares about this so much and God so wants to prove himself. He wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you ever dared to allow yourself to think about. You start imagining things and you'll start telling yourself, oh, that's too much. No, no that's too much. Come on, let's just come back. But, but you're gonna find out in the Bible, God dares you. God encourages you. No, go ahead, try. Try to think bigger than, than what I can pull off. Try to imagine something that's too far that I haven't already thought about it and I haven't already planned, oh man, I, I just hope they'll get that power going because I want to do this. I want to blow their socks. I want to see their eyes light up and their jaw drop and joy just begin to overflow their heart because that's what good dads like. Good fathers want to see their kids be, be encouraged and be excited and be able to depend on, on, on him. And so this is exactly what God, God's done. So today, I'm gonna to show you three biblical power gauges. And listen, when I show them to you, I'm gonna show them to you in a way that every, anybody, I don't care if it's your first time in church, you're gonna be able to say, oh, okay, that's a power gauge, and you're gonna be able to know how to, to measure it, how to look at it, and know right where you're at in any moment, at any point in time. And if you catch yourself low, then I'm gonna show you just that quick, how do I begin to recharge? Because God is telling the truth. This is not just inspirational religious stuff. This is real. And this is how we're supposed to be living our lives is by the power and the goodness and the grace of God functioning and making up the gap so that we're not alone in the world like lots of other people who have not accepted Jesus, but we're people who have a covenant with God. And we have a God who can do anything and wants to do it for us if we'll begin to understand how the power moves. Now, before we get there though, things have become so confused or things have become kind of so glossed that in order for us to really understand how to measure the power, we first have to understand how, do we, how does God move in this exceedingly abundantly far above way? What does that actually look like? And I'll tell you why that's important because there's a lot of Christians, I want to say most, but I, I don't really have a statistic on that, but a lot of them put the emphasis on one of those areas, and when one of those areas don't happen the way they thought it should, then they become so disappointed and so disillusioned that they don't think that God really will do exceedingly abundantly above what would they ask or think, at least not for them, and so they quit. So the first thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at three ways, three different, different approaches that the Bible shows us that God takes, that he does exceedingly and, and abundantly far above all that we can ask or think, all right? So before I do that, I've got to just walk through and, and just clarify a few of these terms that are in this verse. Now, we're not going to go on a Greek study. This is not a theological, you know, heavy lesson, but just listen as I quickly walk through these words and let it kind of refresh your understanding about what God was actually talking about. When the Bible says God is able that comes from a very particular Greek word, dunamis, and it's a word that tells us that something or someone has adequate power by virtue of their own capacity to accomplish whatever it is they said they can accomplish. And again, this says God's the one that's able. So you gotta keep that in mind. I don't care how impossible it looks to you. I don't care how many statistics written by people with, with super, you know, a whole bunch of degrees on the wall. God is still God. And God can do things unconventionally. God can do things in creative ways. In fact, Isaiah 55 says, you have no idea the thoughts that I think. You have no idea the approaches that I can take. You have no idea all the different creative ways. And if there's not one, I'll design one because he's God. And so it tells us right away, you have to understand God's able. 
I don't, it, no matter what's going on in your life, if you've already said, well, there's no hope, well, then you need to back up and say, well, there is one. Because God has the capacity within himself to do anything that he promises and sets out to do. But not only that, it says that God is able to do. Those two little words is actually one word, poema in the Greek. It's where we get the word poem. And the reason it's important because it says it, it indicates something that God is going to build or construct or he's going to fashion or he's going to form. And listen, he's going to do it in a masterful and a creative way. In other words, he may do it in a way that you've never seen before, that you've never even thought before. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Because God's going to create something like someone who sits down and pulls out of themselves and writes a beautiful poem and just takes these words and paints a thousand pictures so that you and I are moved just by listening to the sonnets as they're rolling in and out, out of their, their, their different path, uh, uh, paragraphs here. God's going to do the same thing in your life. And by the way, again, he's able to do it. God is so creative that God can do what you never thought, what everybody says, not possible. God will creatively do in it. And in case you miss the fullness of what God's trying to remind you of, it said that he can do it exceedingly. And this particular word that is a word that unmistakably says, this is something that is so excessive, that's so over the top, that's so way beyond expectation, that when God does it, it just leaves your jaw dropped. You're like, what? Okay, I, I only needed that, but he did this. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's one of those kind of things. And he accents it by saying not only that, but abundantly above. It means this is far beyond what was necessary. In fact, this is not just excessive, it's extraordinarily excessive. It's somewhere where someone would say, well, now come on now. That, now you're just showing off. That's just wasteful. But this is what God does. And not only that, he takes it up one more notch and he says, by the way, not only can I do that, but I can do it, uh, I can do all of that far beyond what you could have asked or even dared to imagine. I've already mentioned it a little bit, but it bears repeating. We tend, because we're, we, we get so disappointed with God. I know you don't like to admit that, but it's true. You know God can do all this stuff. But you keep getting into these scenarios that you just cause you to scratch your head like, well, if he can do all that, why isn't he doing it for me? And so we tend to lower our expectations, right? We'll blow the doors off as far as what God can say, God can do, he can do anything. But when it comes to what he's willing to do for you, I mean like real time, like right now in your life, in the situations that are keeping you up at night, the ones that you're trying to navigate and muddle through, and they're just, you know, just pressurized. They just create stress. They just drag you down. They just make life harder than they should, or they limit you from being what you know you could be if these things weren't there. See, we tend to look at those things and we say, well, I know God could, but I just have no confidence that he will. And so we begin to scale our thoughts and our imaginations down to what we think, well, maybe if he's in a really good mood and he just decides to smile on me for no particular reason, maybe he would at least do this. And God's trying to get our imagination to go the opposite direction. God's saying, listen, I'm God. I can do anything. Not only that, I can creatively, masterfully put something together that no one's ever thought of or seen before, and I can do it in such an excessive way that it's extraordinarily excessive to that point that people will be like, what in the world? God says, that's what I can do, and that's what I'm willing to do. He says, and so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that. I want you to look at what the Bible promises. I want you to begin to let your imagination run wild on just how good and just how big and just how smart and just how rich and just how creative and just how resourceful I really am. He said, go ahead, think as far as you can. And when you get to the tip top and you're, just, you're stretching your brain, you can't imagine anymore. God says, yep, still far and away exceeding. Still way more abundant than that. You haven't even begun to tap into what God does. Now, here's the big question. This is what God's trying to get our thinking to go another direction. And, and it's this, okay? It's risky. But the, it, it's the vulnerability. Really? 
I mean, I know that sounds good in a religious way and it sounds good in a far off someday over the rainbow when we get to heaven, then all of this, you know, religious stuff is gonna get real and then we'll see it. But right now, really? And he's trying to get you to risk enough just to open up your heart, to open up your perspective, to change your paradigm just enough to let some of this begin to shine through. And God says, if you'll do that, I'll do, I'll do what I promised I would do. So here's the question. How does he do that? How does God do exceedingly abundantly above? There's three ways, and we're gonna go through them pretty quickly. We don't have time to study them in depth. But the first way is instant and creative miracles. And really, those come out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Don't turn there yet. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Bible lists these things called the gifts of the Spirit. And, and they're really just enhancements or they're God doing ex, exceedingly and abundantly more than we thought he would. And God in the moment just comes and he supersizes things. In fact, one third of the list of the nine gifts has to do with God doing instant and creative miracles. You'll read about the gifts of faith and the gift of healings, plural, and the gift of miracles, plural, and that means God can do stuff that will blow your mind. And when those gifts are in operation, when God begins to stir and he's doing crazy, miraculous, wonderful stuff, then listen, all you need to do is to have enough power, to have enough faith in your life to just plug in and just let God do for you what he wants to do. It's an amazing thing that happens. In fact, Mark 5.34, the Bible's full of them, but Mark 5.34 is a convenient example. It's the woman with the issue of blood, and, she, and Jesus is passing through, and she knows that he's been doing crazy miracles, and so she says, if I can somehow get through the crowd, crawl through all the bumping knees and, and, the, and the shins and the people that are kicking me, if I can just get, and I can reach out and touch the hem of his garment, I bet you I could get one of those miracles. And she did. And Jesus turned around to her and said, blessed, you're blessed because your faith has made you whole. And that's what this power working in us, when the creative power of God's working, then all we have to do is have enough faith to say, yeah, I want some of that. I need some of that and walk up and to receive it. Here's a couple things about this instant creative power. First of all, this is always all of our first preference. This is always where our thoughts go to first. Well, God, if you really are God and you can do anything, then by tomorrow morning, I just want, and your list is not short. Your list is huge, right? You just want it all to go away. You want it to be instant. You want to somehow find the right place with the right song and the right feeling and the right music and the right person and the right prayer. And all of a sudden, bam, and your life is forever different. And I want to tell you something. The second thing, that still happens today, by the way more often than you think. In fact, it's not as unpredictable as most Christians have willed, whittled it down. But, and that's why the New Testament over and over encourages us and instructs us like we're looking at today, step by step, how do we develop the power that works in us so God can demonstrate himself instantly, miraculously, a lot more often. As a church, in case you haven't caught wind of it, we're in pursuit of that. We're looking how individually we can begin to supersize and strengthen our lives so God can begin to come through and do those things and when we get together on Sundays so that God will do them here. But it requires not only people that will believe and lean in to be used of God, but it requires people that will come forward and say, yeah, pray with me. Come on, let's see, let's see if God's gonna do something crazy wonderful today because he does. This is happening all over the world, real time, all of the United States, churches everywhere, not every church, but every church that's willing to believe and trust the Lord. This is happening real time and it's going to begin to happen more and more often here. Here's the second way. The second way is what I'm gonna call an accelerated blessing an accelerated blessing. And this is something that you believe God and God moves and you don't, you don't get it instantly like right there, but you experience it over a short period of time. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gifts of the Spirit, oftentimes these are initiated by a prophetic word. Somebody will come and say, I think I've got something from the Lord for you. The Lord wants to do this. And that causes your faith to jump and say, man, that's what I've been wanting to do. And you'll get in line with that and God can begin to quickly do something in your life. 
But it also can come by something in, in revelation or your eyes open. So maybe you're in, in your journaling time, you're, you're reading the Bible, or maybe you're sitting in a service like this and all of a sudden something on the inside just clicks and you're like, oh my goodness, I can see God really does want to do that. And so you just begin to open up your heart, say, okay, Lord, then do it. Or it can come, often comes, by, by the laying on of hands. So when we have these altar workers and people just sit in their seat, and sometimes I know they have needs. I know they're asking the Lord for healing. I know they're asking the Lord for finances. They're asking the Lord, do something in my marriage. Do something on my job. And they just sit there. And I'm like, well, listen, you don't have to come up if you've got the power working in you, you can do it between you and the Lord. But God provides these opportunities where you just like plug into this super fast charging outlet and you can get something to happen and begin to move it at an accelerated pace. Now, the difference between an instant miracle and when God does this over a short period of time, it requires two bumps of power from you. The first bump is for you to have enough faith to plug in and receive whether you receive it from the Lord or you step forward and you say, I need you to agree and pray for me because here's what's going on. That's your first step of faith, your first bump of faith. But the second one is to walk, to walk away and have a follow-through faith. Walk away and realize, well, they prayed for me there. They laid hands on me. That's what the Bible requires. And so I'm just going to begin to thank the Lord and believe that over a short period of time, he's going to accomplish what he promised in my life. And you see so many of those examples in the Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not our first preference. Not our first preference, right? We don't want to have to walk away and say, well, it doesn't look like anything really changed. And then exercise our follow-through faith and keep on trusting, Lord, well, they prayed for me, though, and you said that signs would follow, lay hands on us, and we would receive it. We don't want to do that. We'd rather it all happen right there. It was super easy, super convenient, didn't require much from us. But the Bible's full of these examples that God chooses to add an extra opportunity for spiritual development like obedience. Okay, tell you what, you stepped up and I'm gonna initiate the blessing, but how it unfolds and whether it unfolds to completion is gonna depend on your obedience, is gonna depend on you being willing to now keep growing and maturing your faith. It's gonna depend on you, as Pastor Brandon just read in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, to, to not throw away your confidence, but to say, nope, I did what the Bible asked me to do. I came forward, I got prayed for, and I just believe that God's gonna do what he said he would do. And you don't throw that away, but you watch that it begins to unfold and come to pass. In fact, during this series, Pastor Brandon gave a phenomenal message on 2 Kings chapter five and talked about a man named Naaman who was healed because of his obedience. And he almost missed it, right? He had enough faith to come, but then he didn't like how the whole thing unfolded. There wasn't this big pomp and circumstance that he felt like he deserved. God didn't do an instant thing, but he was told, drive away and wash in this certain river. And he didn't like that. And he almost missed follow through faith, almost canceled out what God was ready to do. But his little servant girl said, eh, why don't you just give it a shot? Who knows? And he did. He followed through obedience and it happened. And so we see this all the way through the Bible. Luke chapter 17, Jesus prayed for 10 guys who had leprosy, an incurable disease. And here's what he told them. Okay, go your way now and go to the priests. And when you get to the temple and with the priest, tell them, hey, uh, I was prayed for and my leprosy is healed. What? Because I'm walking away and everything looks the same. I didn't feel any lightning bolts. I don't have any, you know, chicken skin or goosebumps or whatever you call it. I don't have any of that. But as they walked away and followed through and did what Jesus said, the Bible says, as they went, they were completely healed. And so this is that second way that God moves. I can't tell you how many Christians miss out and say, well, see, it didn't work. Well, well no, it works because God promises it will work every time. God doesn't lie. And God doesn't promise stuff that he's not willing and able to follow through on. And so when he promises, if we will step forward and we will agree and let someone lay hands on us, it, 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 it starts every time. Now the question is, if it didn't instantly happen, are you willing to follow through now and walk away and continue to let that mature and just say, well, all I know, Lord, is you promised if I would do that, then you begin something, so I'm just gonna trust you that you're gonna get it done and, and accelerate it, and you just stay right there. This is how it works. But, but there's a third one. 
And the third one is the long-term blessing over a lifetime. Now, I'm going to tell you something. In the short term, like when you're looking at everyday stuff, nobody prefers this. Nobody wants to trust the Lord at the outset. Nobody wants to trust the Lord. Well, I know it's just going to take some work and we're going to have to methodically stay after it. But here's what we're believing. In 20 years, our kids are going to be in uh, model citizens. Our kids are going to be people that are strong in the Lord. Our kids are going to be better than we are. See, nobody wants to do that. Nobody's thinking about a lifetime blessing. And yet the interesting thing is that's what the New Testament talks about the most. Because as wonderful as instant miracles are, and as, as, as wide-eyed and drop-jaw as they leave you, as wonderful as accelerated blessings, you know, what might should have taken five years, you know, can, you can, can happen in a weekend or can happen in a month, you know, as wonderful as those are, God doesn't want us to live off the emotional high of chasing those things all the time. God wants us to develop a lifestyle, that we, we understand how to incur, be encouraged and how to be replenished and how to be resourced and how to be restored and strong in our faith so that no matter what comes down the pipeline, we can face it in faith and face it in confidence that God is going to do once again exceedingly and abundantly more than we ever asked or thought he would and we learn how to click on that power and get things moving and we watch God just give us victory, a life of victory. Now, it, it will have, I promise you, it will have the instant stuff. It will have the accelerated stuff because you, you can't live a lifestyle that, that you keep the power of God working in your life and God doesn't come through and respond. But it's not depending on those things. You don't live from crisis to crisis. You don't get yourself in a pickle and like, oh my goodness, well, if God just doesn't pull me out. I, I, I'm not making fun of that. I'm saying like any good father, no, no good parent wants their children to live from crisis to crisis. No good parent wants their children just to live in a mild state of discouragement until, you know, their birthday comes and they get something really good. You know, we, we don't want it. We don't want to live or depend on emotional highs. But God in his grace and mercy will give those out liberally. But what the New Testament talks about is us being able to grow in a way that we watch our life over the years just get stronger and stronger. Let me give you a few examples. We don't have time to study them out. But in Mark chapter four, Jesus stands up and talks to a large crowd and he says, the whole kingdom of God operates like a farm. In fact, he said, pay attention to what I'm about to teach you because if you understand this, you'll understand how the whole kingdom of God works. You'll understand all the nuances of your relationship with God and how he really does want to move in your life. When you begin to understand the kingdom of God does not operate like a landscaping company. I don't like the way my yard looks. You'd make a call and they come and plant fully grown bushes and fully grown trees and, and you know, and toll sod and overnight your, your just lawn just looks beautiful. Nope, kingdom of God works like a farm. And as you learn to plant the word of God in your heart and you keep that watered, then little by little as your heart, the soil of your heart improves and more seed is planted and it receives water and all, all the bad stuff, the sticks and the rocks and the bugs and the, the, the bad chemicals in the soil is clean and cleansed. Then the Bible said over a period of time, your life goes from 30 to 60 to 100% of the potential of what should have been planted. You just watch growing cycles just keep getting better and better. Challenges, for sure. But you, you're like the steady farmer, the hardworking farmer. You just keep at it and at it. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two says, lay yourself down as a living sacrifice before the Lord and then turn around and transform the way you think by taking God's word, what he said and how he says it works and replacing it with how you thought it worked and how other people said it worked. And as you renew your mind, it says your life will begin to transform. That Greek word is metamorpho. Oh, it literally means like the worm that crawls in, builds a cocoon and in, in a short period of time flies away a beautiful butterfly. Your life is completely changed from the inside but all the way to the outside, circumstances as well, and it all happens in this phase. Things get, get good, then they get a lot better, and finally they are as good as you ever could have imagined they would be. This is the phase. This happens over a lifetime. In fact, let me read you one more passage. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, But may the God of all grace pick an area, 
Pick, pick a circumstance. Pick a, yeah, the grace that covers that. God's exceedingly, abundantly, far above what you ask or think ability to do this. He says, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, listen to this, after you have suffered a while, that he will perfect you. It means mature you. He will establish you. In other words, no more shaky life. No more like, oh, I think everything's gonna fall apart. He will strengthen you and he'll just settle you right down to him be the glory and the dominion and the dominion and forever and ever, amen. Now the glory and the dominion already belongs to him, but now you're ready to give it to him. Now you're ready to say, you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're, out, you're the sovereign God. I'm gonna get in line with your program and I'm gonna watch you do all this stuff. But notice this, he says, after you've suffered a while. See, we read that and we think, well, God, God just kind of sits back and he just likes to see how long we're gonna stay miserable. That's not what that word suffer means. It's not talking about the pain and the anguish because you're going through a hard situation. That word suffer is talking about the discipline the commitment, the patience, the endurance, that even though you're going through a hard situation, you keep coming back and saying, but the Bible says, but God says. It's what develops the character in you. It's that when things get crazy, you don't run away. You don't throw up your hands and quit. You just stay in there, you buckle down, and you lean in even more. And you just keep saying, all I know is God won't lie. All I know is God promised. All I know is God said, and I'm gonna stay with that. That, that. There's a suffering involved with you having to keep doing the right thing and keep trusting it's gonna work and keep commitment committed and leaning in even though all the circumstances are screaming at you, this will never work. And he says, after you've disciplined yourself for a while, after you've built that character, God's watching and God will come and do everything he promised he would do because you, you, the glory and the authority, the ability to make, call that timing that belongs to him. Now, when you consider the context of Ephesians chapter three, the whole particular chapter, and you look at this, when we're looking at instant miracles, accelerated blessings, or blessings that are growing your character and, and working your life so that over a lifetime, there's no mistake about it, verse, verse 20 is primarily talking about the last one that God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly far above everything you ever asked or thought about so that your life begins to grow and blossom and develop. And before it's over, you're like, man, what a ride. I never thought that, that I'd get this far. I never thought that, Lord, he did things that, that in my, I forgot to include that in my imagination. God just filled in all the gaps. It's not saying that God won't do the instant stuff because when you're growing a life, the instant stuff comes. It's not saying he won't do the accelerated things. When you're growing and building and the power in you is working, the accelerated things happen more often. But it's talking about for us to measure the way that God wants us to. All right, so having understood that, let me quickly turn your attention and let's talk about this, this qualification all that happens according to the power that's working in you. And this is where I want you to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm gonna read a really controversial few, uh, few uh, passage of scriptures. It's just a few scriptures long, but I'm telling you, there's scholars all over the world for thousands of years that have been hotly debating this and arguing this, and they haven't even slowed down. So I don't know what camp you come from. I don't know what your upbringing was. I don't know what your experience has been. And I don't know how this is gonna hit you. And quite frankly, I don't have the time to get deep enough into it for you to be able to really understand. So I'm just gonna go over it quickly, okay? But here, Paul's writing and he says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, it's kind of a lot of religious words there, but basically he's saying that God really blessed me and I've got all this insight into the kingdom and so that I don't get like super full of my own self and, and full of ego and pride that a messenger of Satan was given to me to just keep kind of beating me up and keep challenging me so that I, it's not so easy for me an instant that I just think that I'm really great. And scholars for centuries have argued did that come from Satan or did God give him that to keep him humble? But not only that, they also argued and, and said, did God tell Paul, well, you're just gonna have to learn to live with that. 
because that's what's keeping you nice and humble so you don't get inflated with pride? Or did God tell him, this is how you can overcome that and experience me doing exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think? We don't have time to sort all that out, but let me just kind of show you a couple things that will you know, help you to clarify uh, so that you can form a good, a good opinion of that. Verse number seven, again, he said it was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. So it's not from God. Satan's not calling up across the enemy lines and saying, hey, I need two of your generals to come over. He's not doing that. So this definitely came from Satan, but let's keep reading. We're in verse eight. He said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, absolutely not. Don't talk to me about it again. Nope, you need to have that in your life. You're just stuck with this. This is as good as it gets. Now, that's not what he said, but that's what a lot of us think that God's saying. Because we have things in our life that we're begging God, please take this away. Please get me out of this. Please don't make me walk through this. Please deliver me from this. Please do something. You can do everything exceedingly, abundantly, above. Please do something for me. And we think because God doesn't give us the answer we want that God's saying no. But that's not what God said to him. Listen to what God said. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For or because my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul speaking again, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmity, not for the infirmity. He's not boasting and bragging because his life is so jacked up. But inside of that being jacked up, Paul's still boasting. He said, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Now, those two words, strength and power, are both the same word. And it's where we get this word dynamic power. And it's talking about a strength that every time that it's released, it's always sufficient to overcome any obstacle and accomplish any needed challenge. So he's saying, in the middle of this crazy stuff, I begged, Lord, can you just do this? Can you just get rid of it for me? And God spoke back to him and said, well, my grace is sufficient for you. And let me tell you why. Because the strength that I'm making available, the power I'm making available, will, will swell up to its maturity when you're at the weakest. When you can't do what you need to do, that's when you need to God, for God to come and do exceedingly and abundantly more than you thought because you can't figure your way out of this. And so Paul says, here's what I've learned, that what God said to me is that his strength will come to full maturity when I'm at my weakness. And Paul said, oh, okay, then from now on, I, I will boast in the infirmity, not for the infirmity. I will begin to brag on the Lord. I will begin to say, well, it's a good thing that I have a great savior. It's a good thing that he's made this promise that he can do exceedingly abundantly far above anything I asked or think because I don't know how I would get out of this otherwise. And as the power of God and the faith of God begins to rise in my heart, he says the power of God may rest on me. Now keep going in verse 10. That's why he keeps writing. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Not the actual infirmity. He's not glad that, you know, this is painful and this is inconvenient and this is full of pressure. But he's saying in the middle of that, I can find the joy and I can find the pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses. And I do this for Christ's sake, for or because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. And that word strong is a different word, but it has the same root word as the other two, strength and power. This one is talking about a power that is infused into someone or something. And when it is, it doesn't matter how deficient, how, 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 uh, how uh, in the rears, how far below, how weak that person or that thing was. When this particular power fills it back up, it comes completely to life and it has everything it needs to be able to accomplish exactly what it was supposed to accomplish. It's like when your cell phone is so dead, it won't even turn on. And you plug it into this extra battery cell or this supercharger, and almost in a moment, it just goes, and now you can do anything you want. And that's exactly what it's talking about, the power. It doesn't matter how devastated you feel. It doesn't matter how rejected you feel. It doesn't matter how depressed you feel. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this. 
When you allow the power of God to begin to infuse your life, it will charge you all the way back up to the top so you can see past the circumstance and you can begin to see, boy, God really is able to do exceedingly abundantly. And not only that, but he'll do it for me. And when you begin to see that life comes back again and you can start seeing a hopeful future and you begin to trust the Lord and God goes to work and does exactly what he promises he would do. All right, let me finish off this morning by, by showing you this little test. I promise you that you could, you could measure this and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we'll finish right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, this was so important that the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to divide this up and give you three power gauges that you can look at in your life at any point in time. And I'm going to show you, we're going to run a little test, self-test this morning. You're all going to be able to do it inside the privacy of your own thoughts and your own heart, but you're all going to be able to run a little diagnostic, completely biblical, but it will tell you in, I mean, in real time, this is where you're at. And you'll be able to know, oh, I need to get some more power in that area or in all the areas. And then we're gonna, we're gonna see how to do it. Won't take but just a few minutes. But I'm telling you, this is a game changer. This is powerful. And this is how it works. And this is how it's always worked in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 13. This is, this is how Paul laid it out. Um, if I, okay, he said, and now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, just to make sure we're on the same page, when we talk about the word faith, it comes from the Greek word, and it means that you have an authentic belief that not only God can do something, but that he will do it for you to the point that it changes your behavior. So if you thought that you were all by yourself and there's just no way possible and you're crying or you're kind of you know, depressed, you got the shades drawn and you won't come out of your room and you're binging on every one of the Netflix series you can find because you just don't want to face reality, okay? If you're that person, but all of a sudden you begin to realize God can do anything. Not only that, God promised me that he will do it for me that all of a sudden you open the blinds. All of a sudden you take a shower. All of a sudden, maybe Netflix goes off or at least curbs way back. And you begin to take on a whole different behavior because hope comes back and you realize, wow, I'm not as trapped as I thought. That's what the word faith means. It's not just believing God can, but it's believing God will to the point that your behavior will change and you'll begin to act and move towards what God's asking you to do, okay? The second thing it says is hope. And the word hope is not like our hope, like, well, I hope so. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, I hope so. No, this is the Greek word LPs and it describes an expectation, like that's a hopeful person. It means they're optimistic. But this is spiritual optimism that comes based on what God promised. And so you begin to look past your circumstances, past the impossibility, and you say, well, it's a good thing that I've got a God who does the impossible. Not only that's a good thing that he told me over and over and over and over and over and over and over in the Bible that he would do the impossible for me in that situation right there. And as you begin to realize that, then all of a sudden, hope begins to rise. And you cannot just see the circumstance. You can see past the circumstance. And you can begin envisioning what life will look like once God delivers you from that. Once God does what he promised, boy, what is the next chapter of your life to look like? That's what hope actually looks like in the Bible. And there's scriptures all over that will talk about that. But the Bible says the greatest one is this last one it listed, and it's love. And it's actually the word agape. And here's what love means in, in its practical form. It means knowing that in spite of all of your flaws and all of your weaknesses and all of the things that you promised God the last time, I'll never do that again. And you did it the next day and you liked it. See, in spite of all that stuff, right, that we're trying to get worked out in our life, that God still loves you enough to do what he promised. And by the way, if you're a parent, you understand this because the moment that little one comes out of the womb and you hold it in your arm, I promise you for the next five years, it's not gonna do anything good for you. It's gonna cost you a lot of money and a lot of sleep. It's gonna make messes everywhere all the time. It's gonna ruin furniture and stain carpets and cause odors in your house to swell up that you never wanted to have in your house. And yet, you love it so much that you will do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what that little one expects. 
you actually want their life to be better than yours ever was. See, that's the heart of the heavenly father. And when you begin to understand God's love is not based on your behavior. God's love is based on his relationship with you. You really are his child. If you've accepted Jesus, you've been born into his spiritual family and that's it. He will never turn his back on you. Sometimes you're a little rascal. Sometimes like, I can't believe you got into that. Get over here. We got to clean you up. And sometimes God actually has to give you a swat. Hebrews 12 talks about that. But in the end, God's, God's favor never changes. So when you begin to understand those three areas, and sometimes some of you will have to kind of spend some time, you know, renewing your mind and saying, oh yeah, I forgot that's what it means. And, and let the Bible change your mind and frame in what God means. But as you begin to understand that, then the power gauges come very clear. And let me just walk you through a diagnosis. But let's, let's take about five minutes. It won't take longer than that and I'll dismiss you. But listen, let's be as real as we can, okay? In the privacy of your own thoughts and your own heart, think of something real time right now that you really need God to do. It can be very personal. It can be something financially. It can be a relationship. It doesn't even have to be for you. Maybe it's someone that you know and love that you're so worried about, you're so concerned about, and you want to see God do something in your life. Okay, get that thing right there. Okay, once you got it, now just hold that situation in front of you. And, and here's how we're going to measure, okay? Paul said we can measure the power working in us in these three areas. How's your faith doing? How's your hope doing? And how's love doing in your life? And so here, here's the, just the quick diagnosis. And you, I'm telling you, I do this all the time. All the time I do this to myself. It takes me about 30 seconds now because I can just kind of glance down at the gauges without even losing focus on what I'm doing and I realize, oh wait, I gotta stop everything because that gauge looks low. And this is gonna be a long one. I've gotta, I gotta pump that back up before I, I move on. But listen to me, here, here's the first thing, okay? Here's the question now. You got, got the frame in front of you. Don't lose that. When it comes to faith, ask yourself, do I even know what the Bible promises me God will do in this area? And a lot of Christians don't. They don't. They wish God would do something, but they don't even know what he already promised he would do. Here's the second one. Do I really believe not only that God can, but that God will do what he promised. And if the answer's no, or the answer's low on any of those, then listen to me, all you have to do to increase your faith is start spending a little more time reading and meditating and memorizing God's word in that particular area. And the Bible itself is alive and the Bible will begin to convince you. But here's the second thing you add. Invite the Holy Spirit who Jesus said came to lead and guide you into truth. He's like your personal mentor, your personal coach, your teacher. And invite him, say, Holy Spirit, I'm looking at these promises, but come and convince me because I'm telling you, man, it's hard to get my mind wrapped around this. But tell him to come convince you, not only that God will do that, but God will do it in an exceeding and abundant fashion far above anything you ever thought he would. You can measure that, I'm telling you, it takes a moment. But you gotta be real with it because when you realize, boy, my faith is not there, then if, if, you, if you believe this is real and you want it to work, then there you go. You gotta go fix your faith. Here's the second one when it comes to hope. Ask yourself, when it comes to hope, am I focused more on the current circumstance and what's happening in the world around me, statistics and, and trends and what they're saying on the job and what I'm watching my other friends happen, or... Am I envisioning God doing what he promised in this particular area of my life? Creatively. Like, I don't, God, I don't know how you can pull this off. But you said you could and you said you would. And so, okay, this is gonna be fun to watch. See, if, if you, and if you can't, listen to me, if circumstances is all you can see, if you're looking at the Bible and you say, oh, I know God said he would do it, but then you turn up and you're just pummeled. Yeah, but statistics say, and yeah, but they said there's no way in, but the economy and, and but all the, you know, if, if, if that's where you're at, then you know, man, you're, the light's on on your hope meter. And you've got to stop and you've got to, number one, begin focusing your thoughts and your attentions on what God promised more than what the circumstances project. I'm not saying we ignore circumstance. God never tells us to do that. But you spend extra time focusing on meditating. Yeah, but here's what God promised he would do. And you watch what happens. It's like sticking an air hose in a balloon. All of a sudden, you'll just feel hope begin to rise. 
This is what you feel a lot of times when you come to church and you're exhausted and you're tired and it's been a hard week. Yeah, we gotta go to church. And when you leave, you got just a little pep in your step. You don't know why. It's because hope. It's because you've been inflated because you got a little bit of power charge in you and that's going to help you. This is exactly what needs to happen. And once again, invite the Holy Spirit to come open your spiritual eyes to fill you with the hope, the expectation that God really will do what he said he would do and he'll do it for you in spite of all the mistakes you made and all the flaws. And here's the last one and we end. When it comes to God's love, ask yourself, Do I believe that God loves me enough to do what he promised he would do even though I know I don't deserve this? I'm the one who got myself into this mess. I got so many bad habits. I made so many mistakes. And by the way, I'm so angry. I'm so twisted up on the inside. I don't even know if I want to forgive. I don't even know if I, I, it it wasn't right. I just need for this. And you're all, you're just all jacked up. I don't deserve any of this. And yet the Bible says that God invites me to come to his throne of grace, first of all, to obtain mercy. God, I thank you that I'm so messed up. I really need you to come through, but I'm so messed up. And I thank you that you told me to come and talk to you. And the first thing is just to grab all the mercy I need. The mercy of God is when he won't give you what you do deserve. I deserve all the punishment. I deserve all the consequence. I deserve for this area to collapse right in front of me because I'm the one that was prideful. I rejected. I tried to do it my own way. You tried to tell me no, but I did it my own anyway. I deserve for you to let this thing fall, but please give me your mercy. Please don't let this thing fall. Please put it back together. Please change the city. That's the mercy of God. And the Bible says, while you're getting mercy, then just go a couple steps farther to the next aisle and pick up all the grace. That's when God will do what you could never have deserved. See, this is real time stuff. But you have to believe that the love of God loves you enough in spite of all that. And if you realize I don't believe that love of God, then again, go back to the word of God. Start finding scriptures that talk about how much God loves you, that God so loved the whole world, that he gave everything he had, that Jesus said one time, don't be afraid, people. Listen, God loves to give his kingdom, to pour out his riches on his children. Don't be afraid, God's not stingy. See, you need to understand all of that, and you invite the Holy Spirit to begin to come. And as you do, the love of God, the confidence of God's going to begin to swell up in your heart again. So, okay, so that's the diagnosis, right? You, you get a situation, this is real. I'm really in it. God, do I believe that you can and you will do it for me? God, can I see past the circumstance to be able to envision what life's going to look like when you do what you promised you would do because you're faithful? And God, do I believe that you love me enough even though I'm, I'm imperfect, I, I keep messing up, I'm still not the one that I promised you I would be, but will you do this for me anyway? See, that's, that's a diagnostic test. I'm telling you this is real and it works every time. So here's my question for you, okay? Inside the privacy of your own thoughts, how'd you do? Where'd you, where are you at? You, you pulled a real situation up. You asked yourself some real Bible questions. Where are you at in this? And here's the reason I want, I want to ask you that question, because even if you flatlined on every single one of them, that's what Ephesians 3.20 is for, that God is able to jumpstart you, to put the paddles and, and just bring you back to life, no matter where you're at. You could be flatlined across, oh, I'm just waiting, but God's able to slide a battery in there and just, and just to begin to inflate you so that you get a fresh start. That's what Ephesians 3.20 says God wants to do. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter how devastated your circumstances are. Doesn't matter how long you've been in it. You think I can never get out of it. No, you can't, but God can. And he promised, if you'll get the power working in you, God will do exceedingly and abundantly above everything you could have ever thought, imagined, and your wildest dreams, God says, I can top that. And he will, because he loves you. Stand to your feet and let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we all came in here with stuff. Some things that we're wrestling with are devastating. Some things are potential. Some things are just scary. Some things are uncertain. Some things, Lord, keep us in a box and we feel so small and so limited and so trapped. But in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the word of God, 
We're asking you to confirm your word this morning with signs and wonders and to set people across this building, people that are listening online, Lord, to set them completely free from this trapped mindset that you won't do what you promised you would do. Lord, I pray that right now you would begin to infuse them with faith, mustard seed faith to lean in. You begin to infuse them with hope so they can see beyond the circumstances and at least to say, well, well, maybe he will. Maybe he will do it for me. And Lord, infuse them with the love of God to let them know you've you saved them. You've stuck with them this far. You're not about to walk away, but you promise you'd be with them every step of the way. Lord, if they've never been born again, then start there. Holy Spirit, convict them, convince them this morning to give their life to Jesus so that they can experience all he has. As all of this transpires, Lord, we thank you for it and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's worship together. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.